0: Have you ever had it where you had a a home maybe where you lived in for a long time, especially as a child? And at some point in your life, you go back to that home to just uh, be in that place that has so many great uh, memories and significance for you. But you go there, and it's not the way you remember it. Uh... I've got a a house like that, the the house that I grew up in from the age of three until about 18. I grew up uh, in this one house in town in in Holland and um, uh, things are not as they should be there anymore. That home no longer exists. Uh, My childhood home has been, uh, it was burned, it was in a fire and then they eventually just tore the whole thing down and now it sits as an empty lot. Maybe you have some of those things too, where you go back. Maybe there's an open house at the house that you that you grew up in, or um, maybe your your parents uh, uh, were it was their home, and and you remember going uh, back to mom and dad's house or grandpa and grandma's house, and and now you have an opportunity to go through there again, and everything just looks so different. It doesn't seem right in some ways. We all have. Uh, things in our lives that are not as they should be. And and we're going to look at uh, Jesus' experience in this way where He's going to His Father's house. The things are not as they should be. Uh, so let's look at that from uh, Mark chapter 11. This morning we'll be reading verses 12 through 19 as we consider uh, what These two stories will have to say to us. Uh, Mark 11 at verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, this is Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. And when they came to Jerusalem, and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because of all the crowd because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. I wrestled with uh, how to break up this this passage here because next week we're going to hear the follow-up story to the fig tree. Uh, this is another one of those places where Scripture gives us uh, a sandwich story. You have the story of a fig tree and then something that comes between and then the story of the fig tree again. Um, so this would be a, a fig sandwich, I guess. But w- I, I wrestled with this because it seems as if the, the the fig tree is just kind of a an interruption to what Jesus is going to do as he approaches the temple. But I think there's I think there's reason to include this part specifically with the temple experience because things. Uh, are not as they should be here and we'll discover that things are not as they should be when when trees are not fruitful and that's that's the first stop that we make in the story here is as Jesus is coming towards Jerusalem and he's hungry and he sees this this fig tree and he stops to see what he could eat from it Jesus has this way of drawing us into a story by painting a picture now this is uh, eyewitness account in in Jesus' day, uh, we get to hear the story. So uh, as we do that, keep picturing uh, Jesus' experience here and then and then put all together with what you've read from Scripture in the past with where He is now and we'll try to piece all these things together to make this uh, make sense for us. But He comes to this tree and it doesn't have what He's looking for. Now, in the tree's defense... To some degree, it was not the time where there should be figs on it. And that kind of strikes us as odd because Jesus curses the tree, but it wasn't supposed to have figs on it. And then you know, we get to the next section of the story here and Jesus is still upset and He starts to wreak havoc in the temple. It's Is this just one of those bad day accounts that we get insight into in the life of Jesus? He's upset by the tree and he goes into the temple and he's still upset and he's throwing everything around. You have days like that. One little thing sets you off and everything else is just a mess after that. This is not Jesus having a bad day. You and I have those kinds of days. We don't put things in perspective, but Jesus will do that for us. Scripture allows us to see a little bit of why that was so significant, that Jesus was so upset by the tree that he said, May no one ever eat from you again. He paints this picture for us by coming to this tree. There was a time uh, back in uh, in Ezekiel's day where Ezekiel gets this vision. And it's an interesting vision. Let me read uh, Two verses from Ezekiel 47. They're verses 1 and verse 12. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. So, nearly a a similar setting here. Brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. The temple faced east. The water flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar, so they go into this temple area here and there's, there's water flowing out of the temple. It's a, it's a picture of, of the life-giving principles of, of, of being in God's presence, being connected with God. Then in verse 12, And on the banks of, of this river, on the banks of the river, on both sides, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit Every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Revelation picks up that same idea there and, and completes the vision where that, those trees are that brought in for the healing of the nations. And Jesus comes across this fig tree, often represented in the Old Testament um, as Israel. Not only are they a grapevine, but they are also, um, throughout the different prophets, related to a fig tree. And so Jesus has significance in what he's saying here as he's coming across this fig tree, looking for fruit, but there is no fruit. Now, to, to, to get the setting correct, there would be leaves on the tree at this time of, of the year as they're coming towards uh, the Passover and at this point, even though there would not be figs on it, you would see buds. It, w- it would be like uh, having some of our uh, cherry trees where you see the leaves. And you would also expect that uh, in the springtime, you would see the, the buds on the trees, the, the flowers that you know are going to be the fruit. And you know that they're coming soon. And it's, it's producing the way it should. But when Jesus comes to this tree, there are only leaves. It would be finding a, a peach tree or whatever uh, in the spring and, and there's leaves and it never it never gets to the place where it's putting out the flowers and you know that the fruit is, is nearby. And so Jesus sees this tree and it's not, it's not producing the way it should be. There's no, there, it's not giving any signs of, of being what it should be. It's, it's not going to produce fruit and so Jesus curses this tree. John later in his gospel uh, records what Jesus said there. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Painting that picture of of, uh, a grapevine this time, but that idea of uh, a living tree, a living plant, that Jesus is the source of all uh, strength and, and fruit in that. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing and you get this sense of of where jesus is at with this tree that it's it's supposed to be different than what it is there should be something recognizable about that tree that you know something is about to bear fruit you you know that it's doing what it should maybe it's not fully mature yet but it's going to be and there are signs of that and when jesus gets to this tree there are no signs there are leaves, but they're, they're worthless. It's not bearing fruit. Things are not as they should be when trees are not fruitful. Things are not as they should be when the temple isn't functional either. There is this uh, entrance now into the temple where Jesus, uh, in that same mindset, I believe, of, of expecting the way things ought to be. Because of everything that's been handed down from the uh, from the Jewish people throughout time already, there should be an expectation of what's going to be happening, what you would expect to find in the temple. What's going on there? When people, maybe your friends and relatives, they, they come into uh, this place, this temple, as it were. Uh, you expect certain things to be happening here. We expect that there's... Prelude music beforehand, that, that there's conversations taking place, that everybody's getting ready. We're, we're taking our seats, we're we're beginning to draw our hearts to God in worship. And what if you came into this place and it was just a bingo hall? Maybe there's nothing here that that draws you into this experience of meeting with God. And Jesus walks into the temple and Things are not as they should be. And he recognizes that right away. He walks into the court of the Gentiles. So if you, if you picture um, this, this space here as being uh, the temple proper, where you have all of the, the sacrificial things happening here, the, the basin, the candles, all of that, and you, you move closer in and you, you get behind the curtain And there's the the Holy of Holies back there where the priests would go once a year. But then outside of all this, in a great distance around all of this, would be the Court of the Gentiles. It's a place that uh, Gentile believer, Gentile people would begin to see what's happening here in the presence of God. And they would be drawn into that. There would be something that's going on there that they see as something that they need. This large court area here was also where uh, you would bring a sacrifice and the, and the priest would, would examine that to make sure that it's right. And maybe, maybe you came from a far distance and you couldn't, you couldn't bring that sacrifice with you, so you would purchase one. And these things would, would naturally happen here, but what Jesus sees is uh, all kinds of corruption and theft happening. people are being taken advantage of it's 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 truly just a marketplace there's nothing else to this to this experience for Jesus than other than this this corrupt marketplace and the the priests there are guilty of these things they should pre- be preserving uh, the function of the temple and the way it's supposed to happen and they are failing at that in this place where you should be drawn into, uh, maybe maybe in this, in this way too, if, if you would be out in the parking lot uh, on a Sunday morning when, when Mary's playing the organ, you would hear that music outside the walls. And as you're sitting in the parking lot, you'd hear that. And maybe you hear a, a song that, that draws you in. And as you're on the outside of the temple yet, there are things happening and maybe there's conversation and people are talking about, oh, can you hear that? I love that song. There should be something outside the walls that happen outside the walls that draws you into what's truly happening inside. But when Jesus gets to this court of the Gentiles, everything is just a market. This isn't the first time it's happened. This is actually something that has been addressed once before and when Jesus, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, uh, in another instance he's, as He's talking about it, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and He weeps. Now that He's in the temple, he, we get a better idea of why He would be weeping as He sees uh, the condition of His people as they should be and they're not that way. He comes into this temple time now and it's not the way it should be. And now, this time, he's not just grieving over it. It's infuriating him. The temple is not functioning the way it should, so he starts to toss all the tables out of the way and money scattering all over and kicking the people out of the temple. And this is not the picture of the loving Jesus you and I typically have in our mind, but this is no less a loving Jesus than any other story you would hear. Jesus is always loving. And God the Father is always loving. There are no instances where their love is absent from them. Even in their wrath and their anger, they are still filled with love. Zeal for His Father's house consumes Him. The love He has for His Father. What this place is meaning for Him and what it would mean for the people just overwhelms Him. And when He sees that everything is so disordered, and what should be happening isn't happening. He goes into this angered condition and begins to take action. Nehemiah, we just finished reading some of that in our, in our reading through Scripture. Nehemiah at the end of the book there, uh, as they put everything in place, they, they reestablished that. so the, the walls of Jerusalem are built. The temple is back in place. The Levites have committed themselves to service in the temple once again. They've, they've promised not to intermarry with other people that would lead them astray to other gods. They have, they have said, we will not uh, uh, do business on the Sabbath. And yet, after all of that, after all the promises that they had made, The covenant they had made as a people and they lifted up their voices together. Nehemiah comes back to the place and he sees that everything is back out of order again. The people have uh, intermarried. The temple, there's there's somebody living in the temple that doesn't belong there. They've used it as a place of, of housing and storage. The Sabbath day is being profaned once again and and people are misusing that day where we're supposed to commune with God and everything back there in Nehemiah's day. And that's that's the way uh, Nehemiah brings that to a close. And Nehemiah, as you remember, is one of those books where it's recalling things after they've come out of exile. This is one of the last things that are uh, written about the people of Israel. There are other prophets that are uh, writing other stories yet, but this is... Uh, written down as one of the last things. And you see that the temple is just not as it should be. And Jesus is now witness to that again. Going back to what God had said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But this courtyard of the Gentiles that is meant to draw them in is not doing that. It's not a place where other people from other nations, other other uh, cultures are being drawn in. It's, it's not happening there. Things are not as they should be when the temple isn't functional, but they're not as they should be when worship has stopped. The temple is, is meant to function as a way to draw people into that Encounter with the living God. When, when, you, when you think of the, the temple and everything that was there and all the readings that we did you know, through Exodus and Leviticus and you read these stories over and over of all the detail of how to construct the temple and we get so bogged down with that. There was, there was good reason why everything was just the way it should be because it was pointing towards something that wasn't seen yet. It's supposed to draw us in. When you walk into the temple and you get to this place where there's uh, the sacrifices being offered, you recognize your own sinful condition and your need to confess before God, recognizing that you need Him desperately. There's a there's a basin there for washing to, for the priest to offer in a in a clean way. There's there's candles there that show that Jesus is the light of the world. There are there's the bread of presence on the, on the table there, remembering God's provision through the, for the Israelites throughout their journey in the desert. There's the Ark of the Covenant where, where God dwells in the mercy seat where He sits. And you should be drawing closer and closer and closer with God as you come into this temple experience. And you should be drawn into this time of a real, authentic worship where, where everything else that's happened around you is not nearly as important as to the encounter you're going to have with the living God right now. But it's not happening. Everything that is supposed to happen there that should draw people into a time of worship with the Almighty God has stopped, it's failed, it's ceased. Isaiah 56 at verse seven these i will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer now we we pray in this place as we should but that idea of being a house of prayer gets at that relational aspect of Life with God. Not just just going through the motions of things, but connecting our hearts to God in a time of intimate fellowship with Him in prayer. Trusting in Him. Confessing to Him. All of this should be taking place in the place where Jesus has just walked into and it isn't happening. All the things that are there to serve as a reminder, people seem to have forgotten all about. They have no significance. Psalm 141 says, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Drawn into the temple experience is is meant to be this this intimate relationship with God where it's just you and Him. and It it ought to strengthen our relationship. It ought to to bring us to a place where being absent from God's presence in in this type of way would leave such a longing for us. I wonder if we had that this past year when we weren't always meeting here. Did your longing for being in the presence of God in a way that we surrender ourselves in worship to Him, were you missing that this past year? When, when you come in now, are there things that you recognize that you've needed? Is this place that, that place of worship for you? Is it that house of prayer? You know what happens when people pray? People's lives are changed. Too often we think of prayer as a wish list or um, the routine thing that we do. It's not meant to be that way. We all fall into that trap from time to time. But it's just meant to be a place where we express ourselves to God and we do that in His presence. And, And the temple was meant to be that place where you could come and just meet with God freely knowing that, your sin has been covered by the sacrifice and for us it's the sacrifice the the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus if people weren't getting that then they weren't going to get it just a few days down the road when the when the passover lamb was sacrificed the passover lamb when Jesus himself gave his life for our sins if they didn't get what the temple experience was Therefore, at that point, were they going to get it a few days later? If Jesus made his way to this place, and we do acknowledge, I'm I'm just painting a picture, we acknowledge the presence of Jesus here and the power of the Holy Spirit that's among us but if Jesus were to physically come here and He's making His way here, would He find trees that have no fruit on them? Would He come past my house as He's on His way here and recognize all the trees there and yet they're not bearing fruit? They should be. If He would pass by your house, would He would He stop by there and say, my, my goodness, can you... You see all the fruit on that tree. Glory to God. When he, when he makes his way into the parking lot here, would he, would he hear the sounds of people drawing him into this experience of worshiping God or would there be silence or, or a commotion that has no place being there? as he comes in and he, and he sees people gathered, would he find people that are just hearts full open to God? And it doesn't matter what's exposed because it's all covered. We get so ashamed by our sin that we don't want to tell anybody. But you know what that, what that does in our lives? is that we don't get to tell the redemption story either. This is a place where we can worship having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, coming in and and worshiping wholeheartedly in spirit and in truth. What would He find in this place as He passes by your tree on the way to get here? Next week, we're going to gather at the table And we're going to celebrate our union with Christ. And that for us, brothers and sisters, means that zeal for the presence and the power of God ought to consume us as well. As followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of His, Christians, we ought to have that same zeal for the presence of God in our lives. And worshiping with Him would be our utmost priority. Not just gathering together to sit here but worshiping with our whole body, our whole lives, every part of us in worship. That's our communion with Christ. And He did that for us by giving Himself on the cross because all those sacrifices that were taking place at this time in our story would only point to Him. The blood of bulls and goats could never really wash away sin. It could never free you from the the guilt that you have. It could never set you free to worship in a way that even though you know your past, you can still come in and worship. At the table, we will remember that we are a united people. It's time to come in and, and make sure that we have taken care of Um, Maybe that business, as it were, not not daily activities, but making sure that uh, our love for one another is sincere. We talk about examining ourselves, and Scripture gives us that reminder of examining ourselves before we come to the table. Because this isn't just another routine that we do. This is one of those statements that we make to the world, that we remind ourselves of, that we do before our God that says His blood was sufficient to cover every one of my sins. Every one of them. And He did that before I was born and before you were born. He covered every one of your sins before you even took your first breath given by Him, knowing, like He had with His own disciples, the life they would live so next week, and in this coming week, prepare your hearts to come back into the presence of God in a way that you are set free. Free to worship. Free to celebrate. Free to partake, knowing that there is no guilt in you that hasn't been covered. And if you find that there's something still lingering on in you, time this week in God's presence. Maybe even come to this place that's called a house of prayer and pray and confess and enter into relationship um, more fully not only with God but as brothers and sisters as well. This is what the temple would draw us to, this one sacrifice for all. Things are still not as they should be in our world. But we look forward to the day that one day they will be, when pain is gone and and death is no more and, and, and suffering and dying and crying and all that is gone away. And in the meantime, we get to bear fruit that gives hope We get to lead people into a a temple experience with a living Savior that they could be drawn into His presence as well and know the hope that we have. Next week, we celebrate the greatest thing ever accomplished. So I hope you'll be back. I hope you'll be ready to worship. And I hope you will be set free to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Father, we are so humbled again to be in Your presence. Maybe even as we take inventory of our lives, as we consider again celebrating what Jesus has done for us in the the shedding of His own blood to cover my sins, we're amazed that you have made a way for us. And it is an open invitation to all of us that would give our lives completely to you. So prepare us in this week for for that celebration. But prepare us in this week. Take these words and, and stir them within our minds and in our spirits so that we may consider our own circumstances our own our own fruit bearing, our own worship and may we come back again next week uh, ready to worship in a new and fresh and genuine way ready to show the fruit that is in us and to allow it to be used by other people so that it would draw more people in. you have given us this day, all that we need. We pray, Father, that you will continue to meet every one of our needs, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Connect us more intimately to you and to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.